Okay. Hey, everyone. So I hope you're all doing uh, well. So today I wanted to reflect a bit on Dante and his view on vice and sin. You know, where the straightforward path has been lost. Okay, so uh, here goes. Okay, well, so when Dante talks about sin and vice, he doesn't just have in mind this idea of some sort of action that offends God, or being cursed and judged by God. No, what he means when he says someone's marked by vice is that they themselves have lost the ability to change because their bad habits have become so ingrained in them. So, in a way, hell is ultimately more like a, like a state of mind and a way of being in which people are blocked or trapped. Now, the real key here is this idea of being locked in bad habits. For Dante, old practices or bad habits are completely debilitating because those who are caught in them have forgotten that there can be a present and a future in which things can be different. And because of this, because it's their past that dominates, their life is basically on repeat without any light or opening at the end of each day. And actually, here's something really interesting. So it turns out that hell is frozen over in the deepest pit of Dante's Inferno. Now, that's kind of weird, right? I mean, you'd think that out of all places, that would be one marked by relentless and explosive heat and fire, not ice. After all, that's why we use that rhetorical device, when hell freezes over. We of course use it to suggest that something is impossible. But again, so why did Dante depict hell as frozen over then? Which, by the way, has virtually no precedent anywhere in European literature. Well, maybe it's because that's what being in the grip of real vice is. It's being locked and frozen and unable to change. It's being destined to live your life in the same way forever, without transformation. Okay, actually, you know what? I'm pretty sure that Dante was influenced by the earlier classical tradition, and um, Aristotle in particular, when it comes to this sort of conception of vice. You see, Aristotle believed that vice and virtue, they were both habits. They were the result of repeating the same practices over and over again like uh, telling lies or telling the truth, until they got internalized and became second nature, until they became deeply ingrained dispositions or tendencies to act in a certain way. Now, the problem, says Aristotle, with developing the vices over time then, is that once they finally get instantiated as part of your character, they're very, very hard to get rid of. By our own acts, Through their repetition, we determine or solidify ourselves. In other words, it's hard to change a bad character. That's what a life replete with bad habits does. It makes it it very difficult to change and to transform yourself for the better. It's to risk being permanently frozen in ice. At least that's what it would feel like. 
After life aside, to live a life of vice is to create a hell for ourselves, even here on earth. Okay, well, you know, I can't really talk about Dante and sin and vice without saying something about the most serious of them, namely pride. Because pride is, for Dante, the foundation of all sin. It's the ultimate sin from which all others rise. Now, what does he mean by pride? Well, to put it somewhat uh, metaphorically, it's partly something like this. It's to not see the branch that you are as dependent on the larger vine to which you belong. Actually, you know, Dante refers a few times to the, to the story of the young maiden, Arachne, a story we get from the poet Ovid. Now there, basically the young Arachne, refuses to acknowledge that her, her remarkable talent in the art of weaving derives in a considerable way from the goddess Minerva, her teacher. She fails to admit that her skill has a divine origin. She thinks it all has to do with her and her alone. Well, this is pride. It's to see yourself as a completely self-sufficient and self-created being, as someone all of your own making, as someone born of no source and no support. Now, this leads me to another closely related aspect of pride, the supremacy of self. The supremacy of self over against all things. That's to say, pride is a soul filled by self. It's the substitute of self for God. It's when we put ourselves at the center of things. It's the assertion of unbridled individualism. Actually, you know what? It might help a bit if I say something about the opposite of this aspect of pride. Namely, humility. And um, now that I think about it, what St. Augustine says about it is pretty relevant here. Because, after all, Dante was in part influenced by him. Okay, so Augustine thought of the essence of humility as, well, as Christ's incarnation and his crucifixion. That was the paradigmatic case or act of humility. In other words, humility, in this case, is a kind of death to the self, or a kind of self-emptying. That was the kind of humility we ourselves should mirror in our own approach to God. Well, Dante, in his own way, agrees. Self-emptying, or deflation of self, is important. It's important because, well, at the end of the day, it's the antecedent condition of all growth. In other words, the problem with pride, with a soul stuffed to its edges with self, is that it prevents any outside influence or progress. There is no room in the prideful person for change and transformation. No room for anything or anyone to enter in. Now, this is why Dante had the prideful being punished in the afterlife by having to carry heavy stones on their backs. It's because pride makes you immobile and stooped over, incapable of recognizing a world outside of you, 
incapable of recognizing a sky above where flight happens and revelations are born. Mm-hmm.